Let's take our Bibles to Revelation 13, and uh, what a blessing to be here with you. And uh, you know, can you can you sense the Lord working in this church? I can, and I can sense it uh, because I know you. You know, sometimes it's you you can pretend or you can be deceived into thinking you know how a church is doing. I spent a lot of time in my life growing, going to different churches, and uh, there is such a thing as a buzz in a church. But I've realized uh, there can be, there can be a, a, a high energy in the church, but that does not necessarily mean spiritual unity or spiritual yieldedness. And uh, that's why it's so important, I think, to go to a church where you know people and you know them and then you know them and then you know them and you know them. Because it can get boring if you look at it from a, a social standpoint. But if you look at it from a spiritual standpoint, you watch people grow. You watch them as they go through difficult times and as they respond to the Lord in a positive way. And it's just, it's amazing uh, how God works in so many different people at the same time. And it's a real blessing. And uh, it makes you, uh, makes me wish the Lord would work in me sometime. That'd be nice. But um, no, it is, uh, I'm just kidding. It's a real blessing to be with you tonight. I had to say some positive things because tonight we're going to talk about the false prophet. I want to hear the echo in the room uh, tonight. And, th- and that's kind of like this guy because uh, he had a big mouth or he will have a big mouth. Revelation chapter 13. Let's look at the false prophet. And, uh, and here's what I'm going to do. Rather than reading the entire passage and going back through, I am going to read little by little as we go. Revelation 13. We saw the beast coming out of the sea in chapter 13, verse 1, and now we're down to verse 11. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. All right, so our first point, we're going to look at the man. Uh, this, he is presented as a man, and there's no reason to, to think that he is anything other than a man impacted or energized by by satanic energy, no doubt, but he's a man. And where does he come from? He comes up out of the earth. Now, we've, we've been looking at three personalities in the satanic trinity, if you will. The dragon. Where did the dragon come from? Does anyone remember? He was cast out of this place. Starts with an H, an E, an A. Does anyone want to buy a vowel? Heaven. That's right. Good. Very good. Uh, heaven. He was cast out of heaven to the earth. And, and why was he cast out of heaven? What was the event? What was the event that got him cast out of heaven? The war. Revelation chapter 12. There was war in heaven. And at that point, now the reason why that's interesting is because we often talk about how uh, in, in time past, somewhere before the creation of the world, Satan fell and he took a third of the angels with him. That's actually referring to the future in Revelation chapter 12, where he falls and he draws his tail drew the third part of the stars in retaliation. And he cast them to the ground and stamped them to the ground, right? So that's, uh, now we know that's, that Lucifer fell in the past. As far as we know, Satan is a bad guy. That's not a question. When exactly he fell is not... that I don't know specifically where it is. If you do, let me know. I can't find it uh, because everything I've heard points to 
Revelation chapter 12. And that's certainly in the future. But we know he fell, and we know that he's going to get kicked out. Even though he fell back then, he still has access to heaven. And we know that from the book of Job, where he appears before the Lord, and the Lord said, where you been? He said, I've been walking to and fro in the earth. And, uh, and so now, though, that's out. He's no longer allowed to come into heaven. He's cast out after this war. And then we have number two is the beast who rose out of where? Where did the beast come from? It says the sea. And he's also uh, the beast that rose out of the bottomless pit in chapter 17. And, uh, and so we understand he's coming from the underworld. He is Abaddon or Apollyon, okay? And then we have number three, the false prophet comes up out of the earth. What does that mean? Well, there's a possibility it may mean that he will be resurrected, or it may just mean that he is a normal guy. He comes up out of the earth like you and I. Uh, Man was made of the dust of the ground, and we're all just dirt. Uh, dirt balls. And so that's, that's as much as I know from this verse. Now let's look at his characteristics. So first was his origin, next is characteristics. Some people have said, I'm terrible at helping you fill in the blanks. So please forgive me. Please forgive me. Um, I can't say that I will repent. I'm just asking for forgiveness. Uh, letter B, his characteristics. Verse 11 says, he had two horns like a lamb and he spake as a dragon. Now, who else is like a lamb in Revelation? Jesus Christ. He is the Lamb of God. But here, he has two horns. How many horns did, did, did Christ have? Does anyone remember? He had seven horns. This lamb has two horns, and, uh, but it says he is like a lamb, and, and he spake as a dragon. So he has a lamb-like personality with the mouth of a dragon. Dragon breath. It's not just your spouse. Okay? And I want you to think of this distinction here. There's a distinction, whereas the beast, the first beast that came up out of the, uh, out of the sea is more of a political leader. We know that because when you see he's got those seven heads, ten horns, and we see from Daniel chapter 7 the bear and the lion and so forth. And so he's more connected with kingdoms in the sense of civic power and authority. And this beast doesn't have any kingdoms that we know of. Although he has some power, he has two horns, which represent uh, some type of government control. But he doesn't have all of these kingdoms. He doesn't represent, he's not the culmination of the Roman Empire or anything like that. But he comes and he's more of a deceptive religious leader. You watch how... He actually implements and forces, he commands people to worship. Becomes uh, against the law not to worship the beast. And he pulls that all together. He makes it happen. Uh, When we look at the New Testament references to Antichrist, and by the way, there's only five, and they're only in 1 and 2 John, uh, the word Antichrist, the, the, the phrase, as we mentioned, is never the Antichrist, uh, but Antichrists in uh, plural, and uh, this is that Antichrist, he says, uh, talking about someone who would be against the deity of Jesus Christ. And, and so keep that in mind. An Antichrist is 
anti-God in the flesh. That's what he's really, that's what an antichrist really is. And there are many of them. And, and those appear not in a political context. They appear in a religious context. And we'll look at some of those a little bit later on. But it's important to keep that in mind. When you're thinking of Antichrist, sometimes you think about, he's going to get to control the whole world. Yeah, he, he, the beast certainly does. He, he has this power. But as I'm looking at Revelation 13, I don't see that, that the false prophet has any less power, but he's hidden. He doesn't come in looking for power in the sense of, hey, uh, I'm taking over and I'm killing everybody that stands against me. But he comes in through worship. And so it's more of a religious scenario. I want you to think of his possible, letter C, his possible identity. And this is a possible identity. I'm going to give you some thoughts uh, to, to commend this identity. Uh, a lot of Bible students believe that Judas Iscariot will return as, quote, the Antichrist. Or the, the first beast. That's a hard, it's a hard lesson to get over thinking of one Antichrist when there are multiple different personalities. But you can. If you just use the biblical terminology, the first beast, the false prophet, or, or the beast, false prophet, uh, the dragon, so forth. But there's a guy named Ro, uh, Robert Gavette who wrote a book called Apocalypse Expounded. And this is way, way yonder back. And uh, in that book... Um, he, he has a bunch of, he, he puts this idea forward that, that, that the Judas Iscariot fit the false prophet better than he did the beast, or what some people uh, call the Antichrist. And he gives these reasons. The false prophet here exercises all the power of the first beast. Judas Iscariot, in his... Uh, in his tenure, he appeared as the leader of the band that took Jesus. He was hidden. He hid behind the political power, but it was, it was he that actually affected the arrest of Jesus Christ. He was the one that led the band, right? He's, he was the, uh, the guy who told them where to go. The soldiers followed Judas. He wasn't a soldier. He wasn't a governmental leader, but he led them. Next, uh, the, the false prophet is partly like a lamb, partly like a dragon. When Judas met Jesus, he kissed him, remember? And, and his salutation was, Hail, Master. But he told the enemies, Hold him fast. I have this sneaking suspicion that, that Judas walked away with some people saying, Man, that's the nicest guy in the world, even at Gethsemane. He just had this way of hiding his true identity, his true agenda. Uh, the false prophet presides over the worship of the beast. Again, that religious uh, emphasis. And Judas was ordained an apostle of Jesus Christ and inhabited by Satan himself. The false prophet does great wonders. Jesus gave Judas power and authority over all devils. Isn't that interesting? To cure diseases, to preach, and to heal the sick. Uh, the false prophet instigates and forces idolatry. Judas was covetous, and the Bible tells us in Ephesians that a covetous man is an idolater. And even, isn't that interesting, that idolatry could be hidden under covetousness. 
What that, what that helps you, by the way, if you want to bring that down in a practical thing, I, I, don't, I, I don't idolize anyone. Um, just look up the definition of covet. Is it something that you believe that you should have and that your heart must have? No matter, no matter what. Now, if you have to hide or you have to wait or whatever, you are going to get it. It doesn't matter what you ought to do or what God thinks. It's just what I am going to do. This is what I am going to get. Covetousness. You've, whatever that object is or thing or, 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 or possession, that is your idol. Covetousness, which is idolatry. That's what the scripture tells us. And that's, that's what Judas had. Judas was an idolater because he held the bag and he was very concerned about how the money was getting spent. He said, I think that was not a good use of money. And what was interesting, it says, not that he cared for the poor. Not that he cared. It was a desire for self-gratification and for his agenda to be, to be completed, hidden under the guise of care and compassion and spirituality. That's a great and a grave lesson for us. You, you find people saying, well, I, 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 think we should, I, I think we should do this. I, I don't think we should do it. I can't. You see people typing on, online, you know. I can't believe any. You ever notice how much self-righteous indignation there is online? People just get up on their highest of high horses and they're looking down at the rest of the world. I can't believe no one should ever. You ought to be. Just be careful with that. Be careful because a lot of times that self-righteousness is nothing more than self-worship. I know exactly. That's, that's what Judas was doing. Uh, there's something here. It's a little bit of a stretch, but uh, you, can, you can make the case here that, of course, the false prophet institutes a mark for those who follow the beast. And Judas gave them a sign in Matthew 26, 48. Let's, let's look at that real quick, just to make sure uh, you understand what I mean by that. 48, the sign was the kiss. And he says, now he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, whomsoever I shall kiss, that same is he. Hold him fast. And uh, so this idea saying, I'm going to mark the guy that I want to kill. He would never say that. <laughs> he would never say, I'll, I'll, I'll make sure you know which guy I want to kill. But that's exactly what he wanted to do. And you notice up in verse number 45, where he says, Jesus said, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Betrayed, betrayed, betrayed. Over and over and over again in the Gospels, you see that word betrayed, 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 betrayeth. Over and over and over again, it's almost always referring to Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him, who uh, deceived, deceived everyone. Uh, didn't deceive Jesus. Jesus knew who it was that should betray him, but even those closest to him did not know. And it ties in very well, I think, with uh, the idea that Judas is more like the false prophet. And if Judas Iscariot were to return, would he return as the beast, a political leader, or would he return as a false prophet? 
So something to chew on, something to think about. Now let's look at Roman numeral two, his evil ministry. His evil ministry. And again, I call it a ministry because of the, the, the quasi-spiritual nature of this. No, n- number one, it says in chapter 13, let's go to Revelation 13 again, and let's look back at verse number 12. Um, it says, verse 12, And he exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him, and causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. And so he steps in here during a time of crisis to right the ship. Notice this first beast was wounded unto death. Did he die or did he almost die? Either way, the world thinks he's dead. And so he, the false prophet, steps in at this time and he exercises the power that that he was given. Remember, he is exercising all the power of the first beast before him. And so you can see a little bit of a chronological move here from the first beast to the false prophet, and he is acting in the power, just like Elijah, uh, John the Baptist was in the power, spirit and power of Elijah, the false prophet is acting in the power of the beast. He's got that, that uh, what gets you up and going? Some people say, well, I turn on this particular playlist, you know, or I, I, I put on the coffee, or I, whatever it is that gets you going. Or when I'm really discouraged, you know, I like to watch old whatever, or, you know, listen to some, go to the park, or drink this, or eat that. And uh, that, what is that? That's giving you the ability to carry out what you think is important, to function, to be able to move forward to the next stage. And that's what the, the false prophet is doing here. He's exercising what the, the, the beast had and did, and now he is bringing that out. He's able to work with that to get his agenda accomplished. And so he's moving forward, and it says in verse number 13, so he exercises all the power of his predecessor, and verse 13, and he doeth great wonders. Now, some people pronounce doth. I've always pronounced it doeth. I don't know exactly. I've heard, I've, I've always wanted to look, what is that? Is that doth or doeth? But the scripture has doth as another spelling anyhow, so I say doeth. Uh, and he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. So he is, what, what is he using? And deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast. Okay, now I want to tell you something. You and I think we're smart, we're sophisticated. Actually, we're going back to superstitious as, as, uh, as Americans. We're going back to that. We like uh, magic tricks. Uh, we, we like people who are street entertainers. We like to be wowed. How do I know that? YouTube, TikTok, right? Facebook. We like to be wowed. No one ever says, hey, let me show you this. This is the, the most boring video I've ever seen in my life. You know, I, I don't know if you've ever seen that. I, there was one time I saw uh, someone did a loop of the rooster from Robin Hood. Remember the rooster? <laughs> Got the little guitar, the little cartoon from the 70s. And, and it's eight hours of that rooster looped. I mean, you could just listen to that whole thing, and they looped it perfectly. It just kept going, just kept walking, kept playing, right? And, and uh, it's how could that ever become a thing, 
right? How did I find out about it? I don't even know. It's crazy. But as humans, that's just the way we're curious. And we wonder, you know, it's like with your neighbors. You can't rest until you know whose car is in the driveway. Who is that? What are they doing? Did they get a new car? Man, they get new cars a lot. Why don't I ever get a new car? And it's like you're just stuck in the back of your mind. And curiosity, be careful with spending all of your curiosity on stupidity. Because I, I, it's easy to do. Challenge your mind. Get, 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 find, if you have to be on YouTube, watch things that challenge and stretch your mind. And if you're like me, if I watch something educational, before I know it, I'm starting to wane. I'm starting to go. But boy, if it's 30 seconds of nonsense, I can stay tuned in for years. And we have to be careful about that. Because that side of our personality is what the false prophet taps into. I can promise you this. If I were able to walk out right here at the same level of the platform and walk from here to the back without touching the ground, I would be the most popular man in this town. If you would you know, share the news with people. Why? Nobody can do that. That, that would be a miracle. Now, some of you are like, well, magnetically speaking, we could change the, the flux capacitor. And, you know, maybe so, maybe so you'd figure it out. But most people, they'd be like, do you hear about him? That dude's walking on air down there. And that's exactly the, that's all he has to do. Now, I've heard the story. My dad told me this. He said when he was in the army back in the 50s, you can ask him after church. He said when he was in the army back in the 50s, he had gotten saved. And uh, there was a, a Pentecostal guy who, who, you know, you ever notice that? They, they, they like to jump on you right after you get saved. Not as concerned about you getting saved, but once you are saved, they want to make sure you got the filling of the Holy Ghost, right? Because that way you can spin around in your church services and fall on the ground and act like a dog. And that way you know that you've been filled by the Holy Ghost. Because that's what the Holy Ghost did a lot, you know, in the, in the Bible, is fill people and make them act like dogs and idiots, I'm being very facetious. I hope you pick up on that. Okay, so this, this Pentecostal guy comes along and he says, hey, I want you to, to come pray with me. And he kept pressuring him, and finally he would, he would go and pray with them sometimes, and then he just realized he was weird. And Dad said this. He said he was out in the army. They went to a chapel service. He was out in the foyer somewhere and, and uh, maybe talking with a chaplain or some other guys. And uh, this, this guy says, hey, let's go down and pray. And, uh, and he wanted to go into the auditorium and pray. And dad says something like, you know, I don't, want, I don't want to pray. I don't want to pray with you. You know, politely excused himself. Well, the guy goes down and he kneels down at the altar and he's down here praying. Dad's in the foyer looking through the window and he says, as this guy is praying, I watched him levitate in a kneeling position, move over here and be put down. Am I telling it right, dad? Okay. And he said a little bit later, the guy levitated, kneeling position, moved over here, and he sat back down. What is that? How many of you know stories similar to that? Raise your hand. Crazy stuff like that. Okay. What is that? It's satanic power. Very simple. Why, why do we think, oh, that's nothing, that's nothing. That, it's all through the Bible. The, the, the Bible says that many shall say into that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, done many wonderful works? And then I will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. So only God could do that. Be careful about saying only God could do something. 
The devil can imitate a lot of things. You remember uh, the miraculous power that he has? In the, uh, the very first time the word miracle is mentioned is when Moses is, God is talking to Moses and he says, I want you to go and tell Pharaoh. And this is what he says. Here's the verse, Exodus 7, 9. When Pharaoh shall speak unto you saying, show a miracle for you, then thou shalt say unto Aaron, take thy rod and cast it before Pharaoh. And it shall become a what? A serpent. That's the first time the word miracle is mentioned. And it's God saying, when Pharaoh asks for a miracle, you, Moses, throw your rod on the ground, it's going to become a serpent. And guess what happened when Moses did that? All of Pharaoh's Egypt, uh, magicians did the same thing. They threw their rod down. And God kind of laughed a little bit and said, we'll have Aaron's rod eat the other rods. Why? If we're going to play a game, God can play a game too. But notice that it, God... It wasn't that those were not real serpents. They were as real as Aaron's serpents. The Lord is superior in this miraculous thing, but Satan can counterfeit miracles. Well, I saw this and I know they said that. You've got to be careful with that stuff. Really careful. I've never seen all that kind of stuff. I don't know. I don't think I want to. I'm not interested. Why? I get freaked out of my mind. I remember hearing stories about people talking about, you know, apparitions in church buildings and things moving and all that. And, you know, one day I was, I was scared to death about that. And I thought, oh, man, I wonder. Because, you know, going through a church building at night when no one's there can be kind of freaky. Number one, it's a, it's a big building. Number two, the building moves and breathes with the wind. And uh, it just kind of scares you. And I remember one time as a kid, I spent a lot of time in, you know, buildings like that. And I had the, wait a, wait a second. If the devil is real, that means God's real too. I should be fine. And I was fine. Doesn't bother me. Because you know what? The Bible says, be not afraid of sudden fear. Right? When you wake up in the middle of the night and you're, (gasps) you know what you need to do? You need to get your Bible out. And you need to say, Lord, I'm scared to death. And start reading your Bible. And as you do that, you realize God didn't come to shake you out of your socks He gave you his word to change you, not from the outside in, but from the inside out. It's completely different. So if you're, you know, going through this series on Revelation, some of you may be like, I just get anxiety and I'm afraid. I understand because it is really dark. But remember, God wrote about what these guys were going to do before they ever did it. Thousands of years before they ever did it. He knows exactly where they are, what they're going to do, and he's always in control. And he lets bad actors act badly. He does. And so we have to trust him and, and realize that he has all power, but he has allowed the devil to have some of that power. So he has this miraculous power. Number two, he deceives the masses. I mean, the false prophet, if it's Judas Iscariot, boy, he did a good job of hiding himself, even in, in Revelation. Look at 2 John verse 7. 2 John verse 7. 2 John verse 7 says, For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. It's just to the left of Revelation if you're looking for 2 John. Uh, go back, Jude, 3 John, 2 John. Many deceivers are entered into the world. See, he, it says, He deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles. He has means. What are the means? These miracles are the means of deception. They enable him to hide. To hide who he really is and what he, and what he is. 
He deceiveth them. Essentially, we sometimes we think of, you know, when, when, when the, the rapture happens, everybody becomes just brainless automatons. They're all robots just saying, I worship Satan, I worship Satan. It's not the case. There are people who actually make it through the tribulation and never worship, they never d- decide to worship God and they never actually worship the beast. There are Gentiles who make it through by hiding. They're just, I don't know what they're doing. And I doubt they're preppers. Probably be some, you know, 107-year-old woman who just learned to live on one grain of rice per day. And they just make it. Just figure out how to do it. And uh, the Asian culture is very good at surviving things like that, like just forever and a day. They're just very patient people. And uh, so, but the point making is that there are people who have to be deceived. The world in general has to be deceived. Not everybody's an idiot. Some people are thinking, they're, they're considering. And, and the Antichrist, or rather the false prophet comes in, and he says, uh, the deceiver and an Antichrist, he says, I can get them to believe a lie. And I'm going to use these means to do it. What would it take for you to deny that Jesus Christ had come in the flesh? Now, as a child of God, I'm thankful that I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. I cannot lose my salvation. But you know, my old nature is still as old as it ever was. And my old nature can run my life, as it were, completely separate from the sealing of the Holy Spirit of God. I can walk around and live like a lost person. In my corrupted mind, I can live like Jesus Christ did not come in the flesh. I'm thankful to say that he said if, he, if we deny him, he cannot deny us. But we have to be careful because there are a lot of, a lot of deceivers out there right now. And notice, the deception is that Jesus Christ is not God. Look at chapter 2, First uh, John 2, 22. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. All the cults have a problem with Jesus Christ coming as God in the flesh. Go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13. It says, for such are false prophets, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Uh, He says they're deceitful workers, and they're making themselves into the apostles of Christ. They're false apostles. Does that not uh, designate Judas Iscariot? Whether or not he is the false prophet, he certainly was a false apostle. And he certainly did deceive everyone. How, how do I know that? When they're at the Last Supper and Jesus said, one of you will betray me. And all of the disciples, except for John, all of them said, Lord, uh, is it I? And John said, who is it? Now, John, you had, you know, the concentric circles around Christ. You had the multitude, you had the 70, you had the 12, you had the three, and then you had John, the apostle, who was the beloved disciple. John didn't even know that Judas was the betrayer. 
Who knew? Jesus Christ knew. And is that why John really kind of hammered this thing of the deceiver and the Antichrist when he started writing 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John? John's kicking himself going, man, I should have known that. should have known that. It's easy to know after the fact. Hey, listen, we don't even know our own hearts. If, if you wanted to, from a human standpoint, if you took the, super, the, 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 the spirituality side out of it, I believe that, that, the, that, that there was more going on than just deception there as far as, uh, you know, Judas acting himself. I think he was acted upon by the devil. And, and Jesus said, one of you is a devil. But, but if you look at that, you could make a case just from the outside watching Peter and Judas. Which one would betray Christ? Peter. Peter's the obvious choice to betray Jesus Christ. Why? He cursed and swore and said, I know not the man. Judas never said that. It's crazy, isn't it? There's hope for us, but there's also a lot of danger there. There's hope because Peter was rescued from that. Right? In fact, when you go to the book of Acts, you see where Judas fell and Peter was the one talking about how Judas fell from his transgression. Peter fell. Now, he didn't go to the same degree, the same extent, and I understand the son of perdition and all of that. But what I'm saying is from a human perspective, we don't even know our own hearts. We've got to be very careful that we don't think, well, I'm at this level and I'm always there. Judas was always there. Judas was always aware of what Jesus was doing, and he never stood publicly and rebuked him in the sense of, I'm not doing that, I'm not doing that. He always hid under a veneer of spirituality. I think this would actually be more godly for us to do. We have to be careful. The self-righteousness. Now, let's go back to Revelation 13. As we move, the Revelation 13, move forward. It says, he command, let her see, he commands an image of the beast to be made and worshipped. There in verse 14, it says, And saying to them that dwell on the earth, that they, the people that dwell on the earth, should make an image to the beast, which had the wound by a sword and did live. Look at verse 12. It says, He causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Now, notice, He commands that an image of the beast be made. He says to them that dwell on the earth, and verse 12, it says, He causeth the earth and them which dwell therein. I don't understand. He's causing the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're being trained to worship the earth. Well, here, the earth is being trained to worship the beast. It's interesting. I don't know what to make of that, but that's what it says. It says, He commands that this image should be made. And then he commands that they should worship it. Not only does he command it, he, he causes it to happen. He causes these people. It, he is going to make it happen. Whether he forces them under penalty of death, well, certainly that's, that is part of it. But I think the deception, before they even know it, they're worshiping this, this beast. Reminds me of Aaron, Moses' sidekick, who made an image of gold for worship. Now, we normally think of it as a calf, but it certainly it was, a molten calf. But um, in Deuteronomy 9, when Moses is recounting the story, he says this, 
They are quickly, he says, uh, the Lord said unto me, Arise, get thee down quickly from hence. This is when he was on the Mount Sinai, getting the tablets. God said to Moses, Arise, get thee down quickly from hence. For thy people which thou hast brought forth out of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They are quickly turned outside, aside out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten image. Actually uses the word image in reference to that golden calf. And you know what? Something to think about here. Remember when, when Aaron told the story back and said, hey, this is what happened. They, I said, give me your earrings. They gave them to me, and I threw them in the fire. And what did he say? There came out this calf. Kind of an interesting thought. Now, we, we understand it. It's, it goes on to say that Aaron, uh, he, he made it. Uh, he graved it. He actually put that thing together out of molten gold. But he does reference that. It, it says whether or not that calf was moving around and dancing around, I don't know. But that phrase, there came out this calf. And we always laugh at that. I've always laughed at it like, yeah, right, Aaron. You just threw it in there and it just came out. We know that you were involved in that. But it's a little bit of a precursor, a, 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 like a foreshadowing of what's about to happen in Revelation 13. Um, there's another one in, in uh, Daniel chapter 3. Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. And you can track that down. Uh, look at it, if you will. And we'll look at that maybe next time a little bit more about the three score cubits and six cubits and so forth. There's a lot of connections there. Uh, but he made the image of gold. And then let's look at letter D. Verse number 15 of Revelation 13. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And I want you to look at this letter D as he brings the image of the beast to life and gives it power. And it says two things here that he gives it. And the way that the grammar is indicates a couple things to me. One, he, of course, gives him the power of speech. So let's just say it's kind of like, and, and for those of you that, that don't like cartoons or movies and things like that, I understand. I don't, I don't, I don't want to bog you down with that, but it's kind of the language of our culture. I want you to think about what was the thing, if you remember Toy Story 2, right? What was the thing that scared Sid straight? Anybody remember that? It's when he, he picks up that little cowboy doll, and all of a sudden, the cowboy doll turns around to him and says, so play nice. Remember that? What scared him to death was the fact that this inanimate object suddenly came to life. Why? Isn't that true? With I've never seen it. I don't watch horror movies. I don't recommend anybody doing it. I think it's stupid. I think it's satanic. I think it's foolish. In case you wonder, just kind of a quick take. Um, but that's what, what the idea of Chucky, right? Something that's inanimate suddenly has life. I mean, can you imagine if all the Hollywood actors are all up there getting their Oscars and all of a sudden they're standing there and they're going, I'm just so thankful. And the little Oscar looks up and goes, yeah, great job. That would actually get the Oscars ratings up, considering that nobody watches them. Uh, 
That kind of thing, that's what scares us, right? I tease my mother-in-law because she likes the American Girl um, dolls. And I, I tease her and I say, you know, what is this, this idol worship that we have here? And, I, I, you know, and she always has them so nicely decorated and dressed and everything. And, and uh, I, I sometimes wonder, do they get up and get themselves dressed in the morning and make coffee you know, and sit down and pose and then have to freeze when we come in? Why? We know things that have life are in one category. Things that don't have life are in another category. Well, here he's able to bridge that gap to go from inanimate to animate. And how is he, what is, what is the, uh, it, well, it's just like the power of God himself. The Bible says, what's the first, first thing we, we learn uh, is that in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was out of form and void, darkness upon the face of the deep, spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God, what's the next word? Said. The power of speech. The spirit of God is moving what is the first thing that shows a definite action of God? Well, it's the Spirit, and then the very next thing is the Word. What's the power? Well, blinking eyes is bad enough if you had a little doll that started blinking its eyes, right? Or a, a stone owl on the front in your driveway, and all of a sudden that thing started blinking and turning its head. That would freak you out. But... but when something starts to speak, now it's using a different part of his brain. It's communicating. And what is it going to say? I don't know what it's going to say. You could dive in deep and find out, you know, come up with plenty of theories, I'm sure. But I want you to look at this, too. It says he, he has power to give the image the capability of speech. But notice how he says he had power to give life unto the image of the beast that the image of the beast should both speak and then comma. And, and, and here's the two different ideas. And cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Now, the comma to me indicates that this is a continuation of the power of the false prophet. He had power to give life and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast. But I want you to think, what if it was referring to giving life unto the image of the beast. He had power to give life unto the image of the beast. That the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. What if the image of the beast actually had the power to kill those who would not worship it? That's another, another option there. And uh, certainly either way, if you're going to have the ability to speak, um, the ability to kill someone certainly does, is not far-fetched. And we certainly see that in Nebuchadnezzar's image. There was no speech involved other than the speech of the music that sounds. And then what happens if you don't bow down? You've got to be thrown into the fiery furnace. Now, I want to finish up tonight by looking at letter Roman numeral 3, I think it is, the true image versus the false image. And I want to give you some thoughts here. Look, if you would, at Genesis chapter 1. Genesis 1, it says, uh, first of all, let me say this. In the Old Testament, you see the image is, the image of God, the word image is introduced referring to the image of God. Genesis 1, 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. 
And so the image of God is, is introduced in Scripture as a good thing. We think images are bad. Well, they didn't start out bad. The Old Testament speaks of the image of God. And then, because of the fall of man, man was originally created in God's image, but lost God's image through sin. That's Roman numer- that's letter A. So that what happens? Well, then we go into Exodus chapter 20, verse 4, where, where God told Moses, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven what? Image. So now God forbids mankind to make images for worship. And he says in Leviticus 26, Ye shall make no idols, make you no idols, nor graven image, neither rear you up a standing image, neither shall you set up any image of stone. A standing image, that comes back into play in Revelation. Because you have an image of the beast that is standing. And we find out where it's standing when we get to 2 Thessalonians. It's standing in the temple. So now you have this standing image in the place of worship, the abomination of desolation. We've been taught, many of us have been taught that that's Antiochus Epiphanes in AD 70 when he he offered a, a pig on the altar there in the temple. Well, the problem with that is um, it was not, that does not fit for Paul when he talks about there in 2 Thessalonians. Because Paul was writing about something completely different. So he was writing about that. In fact, we have in Revelation chapter 13 this talking about this image. It's in AD 90 when John wrote, Jerusalem was destroyed in AD 70. So he, he, he tells them here, don't create any physical idol or picture in your imagination. Imagine. Imagination. That's an image in your mind. So you may have a thought come through your mind, but you can prevent it from becoming an image. You have to be careful about the images. Mankind is concerned about his image, how he presents himself. Don't create anything, God said, that hides my image or covers or pretends to be my image. He says, you can't look at an image. I am invisible, and if you're going to worship me, you're going to worship me invisibly. You're going to worship me in your heart. That's why we don't have any icons, right? Or statues. Uh So then in the New Testament, you have a distinction between image, too. You have different images. Uh, Remember what Jesus said, show me a penny. Whose image and superscription hath it? And they answered and said, what? Caesar's. Caesar's image was on the, what? The most important thing, money. What is it we're trying to be? We're trying to be that image, that amazing representation of the most powerful, the wealthiest The best looking, that's what we want to be. It's the image that we're looking for. Uh, Romans 1 tells us that they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man. So we got to have something. You say, not me. Well, man, you sure you don't have any images coming across those screens? A lot of images, aren't there? 
It's, it's, a, it's a deep study when you start thinking about images. So then we have, thankfully, uh, go, go to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Hebrews chapter 1. I want you to see that Jesus Christ came to fix it. The Bible says in Hebrews 1, 3, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. When God wanted to express himself as a human, Jesus Christ is the result. Jesus Christ expressed God. It wasn't just that the Father expressed himself in his Son, that's certainly true, but that Christ as God expressed himself and expressed himself as the Son of God. He's the express image of his person. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Back to 2 Corinthians to your left. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 4. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Who was created in the image of God originally? Genesis one twenty seven. Man was. And man lost the, the express image of God, lost the complete image of God, the perfect image in that sense. Not that man was the same image as Christ, but, but he looked like him. Christ, when we shall see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. When you looked at Christ, you didn't see a halo behind his head. He looked like a human being. By the way, that's why people couldn't stand him, because he was ordinary he came from a blue-collar family. How hath this man letters having never learned? What, what, what is this guy, this local yokel, how is he even able to do this? No, you can't do this. Right? That's what man looked like originally. He was without sin, without corruption. And, and there he is in the garden. He's the image of God. And then because of sin, he lost it. And now Christ, who is the image of God, comes back, and he is going to reinstate this image. Uh, the song, what does that song say? Adam's likeness now efface, stamp thine image in its place. There in Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Charles Wesley's talking about how man, Adam, lost the image of God, and Christ is going to come back and stamp the image of God back in. Where, but where does he do it? Well, notice, he said, Christ is the image of the invisible God. I want you to go to Romans chapter 8. Go back to Romans chapter 8. What is God trying to get us to do? Or trying to make of us? Romans chapter 8, verse 29. We talk about Romans 8.28 in verse uh, where he talks about, we know all things work together for good. Verse 29, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. What is it God wants to do? Jesus Christ, the image of God, came to earth to restore God's image in man, and all those who are in Christ are predestinated to have the image of God restored. You don't have to be afraid of the word predestinated. It's a Bible word. It's just not a Calvinist word. All those who are in Christ... Are, once you get in the factory, you're going to end up at the end of that right there. That's where you're headed. Why? That's what we do here. We make people look like Jesus Christ. That's what, when you're in Christ, he makes you look like him. He doesn't do it, uh, he does it spiritually first, 
and then he allows your soul to be affected by his spirit inside, you can yield or not yield to the conforming work of his son. But if you yield, you will continue to look more like Jesus. More and more, you'll act like Jesus. Your spirit will be like Jesus' spirit. And that's his intention. The Bible says, as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. You look like you look now, but when you get to heaven, you're going to look like Jesus Christ. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. This is a, a wonderful promise. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Now he's talking about looking at... Uh, uh, the Bible, the Bible. But he says in verse number, uh, he talks about the Old Testament, verse 14. And then in verse number 17, Now the Lord is that spirit, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. What's the glass? This is the glass. We see God through the glass. I've never seen God, but I've seen God. I can't quite make him out, but the more I'm in this, the more I can discern who he is. We all, with open face, like, Lord, here I am. I'm not trying to hide part of me. I'm not trying to pretend like you can't see all of me. I'm saying, Lord, here I am. Beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory. They say that husbands and wives begin to look like one another over the years. Why? They constantly look at one another. If, you know, some people do. And they, they interact with one another and they start talking the same way. And they'll have the same mannerisms. It's because they're constantly looking at one another. When you're constantly looking at the Word of God you begin to act like the Lord. And, and the Holy Spirit is in you, and he's changing you. Notice, notice uh, verse 18, are changed into the same image. So what's God doing? He has predestinated you to have the image of God, and he desires for believers to continually be conformed to his son's image. He wants you and I to do that. And, and, and how does that happen? We've got to be in the word of God with open face, and say, Lord, I want to look like you, I want to think like you, I want to act like you. And he'll do it for you. Notice in verse Colossians 3.10, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Beautiful. Beautiful. The Lord fixed it. We lost the image. He said that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And we think about uh, people being lost. Well, certainly they are. But you know what was lost? The image of God was lost in man. And Jesus Christ restored that. You and I have the opportunity to have the image of God restored. Now, I want to just give you a couple, one thought here at the end. And that is Nebuchadnezzar built this huge image. And he, he forced people to do it. He made them build it. And then he forced people to bow down. One final passage, if you would, look at Ephesians 4. We'll finish out tonight. Ephesians chapter 4. I want to show you that as God... You had, to, you had the nonconformists in Babylon. You had Daniel and his three friends that, that refused to bow. At least we, we know that the three friends were there. 
And they, they said, we will not bow. We will not be conformed to this image. We will not. But then you have, and that was done involuntarily. Either worship or die. Worship or die. But here we have in Ephesians chapter 12, another image, so to speak, that's being built. Ephesians 4.12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith, we all want to look like Jesus, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, we all know about Jesus, unto a perfect man, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit to your stature? None of us can. But as we are coming to the knowledge of the Son of God, we're built up, speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, not Nebuchadnezzar's head of gold. No, the head is Christ. From whom the whole body, from the head, from Christ, the whole body, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth. You see, in Nebuchadnezzar's image, it was the best is on the top and the rest, y'all just get what you can get. You know what, what Christ does in his body? Christ increases your value and your worth. It doesn't get less and less and less and less. You grow and become more valuable to others around you. You're never more loved by God, but you understand his love more. He says, Fitly joined together, compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. You and I are given the privilege of building the body of Christ, not involuntarily, not by being forced to worship or die, but out of love. And as I out of love work with you and pray for you and knit my heart with yours, the body of Christ is built and it looks more like Jesus on this earth. Isn't that amazing? God has certainly given us a great privilege. It's so much bigger than my own agendas and my own plans. What does God want to do? He doesn't want you to develop your own image, your own ideal person. He wants you to yield to the Spirit of God and and allow Him to build you up as a part of the most amazing being that's ever been. And if you'll allow him to do it, all the stuff that you want to do, that you want to be, he'll make you more in the body of Christ than you could ever be on your own. It's phenomenal. Well, we're going to take some time now to pray.